Welcome to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast, hosted by lead pastors Cassie and Alex Farron. Midtown Church exists to reveal the kingdom of Jesus together in Kansas City. This podcast explores ways in which we can become more like Jesus, reveal the places he is already working, and ultimately renew the reputation of the local church. Hey everyone, welcome to the Midtown Church Podcast. I'm your host, Alex. I'm here with Cassie. Hey, everybody. And today we have the pleasure of interviewing a good friend, uh, Cody Bivens. Yes, we are so hey, excited. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> We're doing this for the first time. This is our first like yeah. across the country interview on Zoom. So we're still getting used to all the wonderful the technologies. Oh, yeah. Never mind. Yeah, yeah you're okay. not that far from us. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, Cody has a uh, BA in biblical studies and languages from Evangel, an MA in historical theology from Wheaton. And uh, about a year from now, you're starting your PhD at Aberdeen University over in Scotland. Uh, You're a lover of all things Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, metal, and folk protest music. And uh, big news, you are recently married. Yes. Yes. Very recently, less than a month. Yep. yes marriage is wonderful yeah it is I would just like to say Cody when you come back from Scotland I expect you to a be able to teach me some of the language and b have somewhat of a Scottish accent so I just need you to know those are my expectations I'll kind of leave it to Hannah because I think Hannah wants to uh eventually adopt one while we're there oh that's awesome that is awesome that is awesome (laughs) uh well today we're going to kind of be talking about mental health in the church particularly some of the stigmas around mental health and and for the last couple of years cody has been studying this writing quite a bit on it um, particularly writing on the intersection of mental health and theology so for our listeners, Cody, kind of dialogue and help us understand what what was your initial interest in that intersection? Yeah, so um, it started out like a personal um, interest. I don't know if interest is the right word, but uh, uh, through personal experience, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, my oldest sister, when I was at some point, I think when I was in middle school, my oldest sister was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, and then the diagnosis sort of shift, uh, shifted a few times to like bipolar, schizotypal. Um, these are all kind of just like spectrum disorders. But, um, and my experience with that uh, was on the one hand, you know, like just with my family and trying to figure out um, what, if anything, what it meant and if anything, how to live with it and how to move um, forward. Um, but then my experiences with the church were coupled with that. I grew up like Assemblies of God, um, Pentecostal at a pretty like rural, small church, but, um, yeah, multiple times just that they attempted like exorcisms and things like that. Um, so there wasn't any sort of, um, framework for mental illness or mental health or psychology or anything like that. And, um, I guess 
through my time studying theology, it became the one thing that I like really wanted to um, understand and consider like from the framework of the Christian uh, faith. But yeah, so eventually there's just merged into a, a personal but academic thing. Um, yeah, so I try to, I try not to do too much of my research in theology autobiographically, but mm. it still is there in the background all the time. So yeah. 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 Even whenever your attempt is to keep it away from yourself, you can't help but have your experiences at least play a background role in those yeah. things. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's worth noting, um, Cody, you had like a pretty obviously difficult experience um, within the church that you grew up in, but as a church as Midtown Church, you know, it really is like our heart's desire to be more informed, to not be like ignorant in matters of mental health as a church, and to really um, be better than those that came maybe before us um, with just this desire to reach more people for Jesus. And so that's kind of part of the reason that we're having this conversation today, and partly why I'm so grateful for your experience, because part of being able to move on from something as the church is acknowledging where we have gone wrong and repenting and saying, Lord, help us move forward and do this better. And so really, I just love that we're getting to do this today because I feel like it illustrates um, really our heart's desire for repentance and also the question of how do we move forward and do better as a church. Yeah. So much of repentance is the rethinking of something and, um, you know, reframing it in terms of um, the kingdom and, and what Christ is calling us to. So we're going to get to what has the church gotten wrong, but maybe let's frame it in a, in a positive light first. What, what things do you feel like the church has gotten right when it comes to mental health, mental illness, um, and addressing those things? Yeah. So, um, obviously like church history is not very uniform and it's not, there's not like, uh, I think, I typically just sort of reject illustrations that are like the church has gotten this entirely wrong or the church mm -hmm. is totally mm -hmm. fine. There's no problem. Um, throughout the history of the church, like there, the church has had compassion on people with uh, mental illnesses and disabilities of all sorts. Um, but had a, at the same time, like has struggled to sort of construct a theology that includes them. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that, it has gotten right is that so often um, the societies that have surrounded the church have rejected um, those with disabilities, those with mental illnesses. And the church has at least been often a place of safety. Mm. Um, and again, like not to jump the gun on what the church has gotten wrong, but uh, it's just, it's not, it's kind of both ways. Like it's been a safe right. place for those with mental illnesses, but it also hasn't. And mm. Um, I can probably explain a little bit of that later about like the dynamic there, but, but yeah, I don't really have great concrete examples, but no. uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe we can be a concrete example one day, <laughs> right? That's what we aspire to be. Yeah. yeah I, I think you brought up a good point just in not painting the church with broad generalizations. Yeah, it's good. always gotten it right. It's always gotten it wrong. There are nuanced examples throughout and, and history is long and yeah. has multiple examples of yeah. both sides um but let's let's jump into the hard stuff uh what you know over the years maybe over the last century or so what has 
the church gotten wrong when it comes to mental health, particularly severe mental illness? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so to kind of just give a broad picture, um, at some point in like the Middle Ages, you have the rise of monastic orders. And for all the good that monastic orders did for the poor, they also became uh, a place where the first practices of confinement started with mental illness. Um, mm. And that at that time, like mental illness was really understood as a moral ineptitude. Um, the people lacked self-control and um, at worst demonic possession or at best they were just like allowing um, the desires and um, passions of humanity to sort of take over. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of the middle aged Christianity slash European sort of treatment um, was pretty harsh and practices of like punishment and detainment instead of, you know, health. Um, and then you also kind of get the rise of the Western like development of the prison, which is related to the church, uh, um. unfortunately. <laughs> and, um, prisons basically since have been the most popular place to put the mentally ill and mm. to institutionalize them and confine them. Um, and then I can probably talk more in depth about this, but I think the largest um, shift that occurs in the church's treatment and in the world's treatment of mental illness is with the development of enlightenment, which is a philosophical movement in the West. Um, so after the Reformation, um, which really heightened our concepts of individualism, which led to economics of free markets, politics of um, individualism as well. And the prison became like even more popularized with the enlightenment. Yeah. So today, like that kind of gives us the like the two major pictures are basically um, either Christians in the West tend to over spiritualize mental illness, make it something about sin or demonic activity if you're especially Pentecostal. Um, but sin, broadly speaking, in the sort of the evangelical world, that there's some sort of flaw like in the person's existence mm -hmm. um, that either needs healing and removal or needs to be like separated from the community. Or on the other hand, and I think this is probably more true for people of our generation, but we opt for a sort of, I think misinterpreted version of mental health, which prioritizes like the individual and mm -hmm. prioritizes yeah. your sort of self-care. Um, like I am an isolated person with my problems that I can like, <laughs> have yeah, one I'm on gonna take care of me. Right. <laughs> So I think that most of what I um, am researching and wanting to do is consider the, the good things that have come out of that history, but also to problematize them and, and reconsider them with like the Christian confessions. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And of, again, we can go more into depth about like the specifics of what I think are the problems there, but that's kind of a broad picture of. Yeah, like, that's so I'm good. Doing. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that individualism um as it as it relates because I, I think we kind of see self um determination we see this idea of you know you're pulling yourself up your, by your bootstraps as a positive ideology yeah um really perpetrated by the church you know we spend every sunday telling people like you know you can do this yeah, clean you know, up your act clean up your act yeah and, and what you're suggesting is even that that 
philosophy has a major impact on those in our community that are struggling with severe mental illness. Um, how, like, what do those dynamics look like? Yeah, so um, if you don't mind me going into some philosophical history, oh, do I do. have notes to make sure that it's accessible. But <laughs> I will say, Cody, one of the reasons I love our friendship with Cody is I always walk out of conversations feeling smarter. So yes. hopefully you leave this podcast feeling smarter. Go for it, Cody. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think really to understand, uh, again, where we're at, and, and interpret the world properly. We have to understand history, we have to understand thought and how all of these things are sort of interconnected. Um, yeah. You know, nothing exists in a vacuum and everything, even just like the way we read the Bible, like has a context that has uh, situations that help us to understand. So um, yeah, like the, the world that we live in, like even the churches we go to on Sundays that have this sort of individualism that's not a reality that's just given, but that's a, a particular way of constructing the world mm. um, that came, that's new, that's really, really new. If you look at the history of the world, it's a fraction of uh, the recent history. So um, yeah, things like capitalism, uh, things like the reliance on punitive methods of criminalization, incarceration, um, and our philosophical and political history, like they all come out of this dominant Western uh, worldview, yeah. which um, constructed a particular way of understanding the human person. So that's like basically where it starts is asking the question of what is the human person and how, how does the human person like relate to the world? And in the West, we, because of the enlightenment, we've decided to, um, for a bunch of different reasons, define the human person as an individual self mm -hmm. who is enclosed away from the external world. So the really easy way of just understanding that is that you tend to think of yourself as like you and then everything else that's outside of you as something different, as like the house you live in, the community that you live in, the people, your husband, your wife, et cetera, like as something different than you. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a direct result of that philosophical movement. Um, but that also, meant that meaning like the way that we conceive of a world is found like everything is mediated which is a big word for like everything is sifted through the individual so um typically like concrete examples again like not just in churches but in in our society in general are just like your personal brand and your your sort of like your aesthetic or your uh the way that you present yourself um mm. but also the way that you conduct your relationships are influenced by like someone's benefit for you or how they're like i you know there's a lot of conversation about like toxic people in your life and like get rid of the toxic people in your life but i mean like the whole philosophy there is basically that you are the mediator of your world like your yeah. world is completely constructed by you as an individual it's not something that um has been constructed around you but yeah so and the less reliant you are upon other people the better off you are is is part of it too you 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 cut off the toxic people so that you're not reliant upon despite like what research shows us like we and that's what's so funny to me about like our western culture and individualism is like research is pretty much i don't want to say proven a correlation because that would be false but they've correlated like 
people's ability to function with their ability to connect with others and have friendships and relationships. So although we would like to think that like as Westerners or individuals, we can exist within just the self, like we are evolved enough to know that's literally impossible. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so that of course like leads to some problems with the way that we understand the world. Um, Primarily, I think it leads us to disengage with externalities or things that are beyond just the individual. Mm. And we sort of treat everything that is outside of ourselves as um, an object, uh, a, a popular term probably to objectify something, to make it uh, not, these are all philosophical terms, but not subject, to make it not have its own perspective, but something to be used. Um, uh, and modifying of another person or another object. Yeah. Right. I think, you know, for people in the church, they've definitely heard, um, there has been pushback against these ideas, most, mostly in the context of like pornography and things like that, mm-hmm. which are really obvious examples of yeah. the like objectification of other people, but also like, you know, the difficulty is okay. Like it's not just limited to things like pornography, but it's, it's, the way that our political structure is built is the way that our education is built, our uh, criminal system is built, um, that our environment, the way we treat the environment, all these things have been instrumentalized because they're just, their value is based on their utility to ourselves right? or um, to some sort of order that we like bow to, I guess. So, um, and then we have a shift, I think an important shift to understand mental illness, especially is the shift towards the priority of reason, um, where along with this individualism comes the ability for the individual to understand the world mm-hmm. and the ability for the individual to logically and reasonably like build that world. Thinking being, not feeling being. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's of course like a ton of like detailed philosophical history behind why that is. But again, you see the examples of that just um, in how people tend to prioritize reason over the emotions or they sort of dichotomize the person to say like, you're being emotional, not reasonable, or you know, you're know, you not thinking about it, you're thinking with your feelings, these kind of like uh, ways of, those are ways of understanding the world and of the mm-hmm. individual that, um, become really problematic when you start looking at the big picture of things, but they're there and they're pretty much constantly there. So um, how that relates to mental illness is that, uh, again, like this is a very starting point, but at least what is not logical and what's not reasonable and what doesn't conform to like those universals of things like the law or order or um, again, reason, the way that we understand our identity, those things are seen as like anomalies in our society Mm -hmm. and if that's our starting point then you it's not like a it's only a hop skip and a jump from that to the current situations that we have with people with mental illnesses um so yeah like basically like what i am trying to get across is that these this philosophical history like informs everything like in our world like our economy which is built upon capitalism which is an individualist like Mm -hmm. free market the whole idea of the individual self-propelling into like wealth um so capitalism our laws 
on punishment. Like notice how in the criminal world, like no, a community never gets punished. Mm-hmm. It's always the individual. Yeah. Um, the individual is solely responsible for everything that happens. Um, and then our, you know, I'm sure that like race is like a conversation in your church, but um, our caste system built upon like racialization and yeah. uh, things like whiteness, these constructs of race, um, those are built upon the individual as well. Um, yeah. And so kind of just to like cap that, like basically we have all these like moral orders of utility that yeah. define the person, they define our communities, they define every step of our world. And if you're not useful to that system, whether it's the race or the economy or religion, like, et cetera, then any action that's taken against you um, to your harm can basically be justified. And so we prefer to isolate and remove the mentally ill to sort of stigmatize them socially rather than include them in our society because they don't fit into like our conceptions of how life should be. So, yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people understand that like so many of these issues of like mental illness and like our racial injustices and economics and all of these education system, everybody kind of understands that theoretically all of those things are linked. But what I think is super prolific about what you're saying is they're all linked because of our understandings of individualism and like reasoning that form every single one of us. And like the reason why all of those things are linked together is because of those foundational ideological principles that we all have within us. And what's kind of scary is like, as the church, to a certain extent, we should be figuring out how to not let those things like define who we are, but they have so pervade pervaded every single part of like who we have created ourselves to be that it's hard to even begin to like disentangle all of those different dynamics, um, that inform, you know, racial justice, economic development, uh, like all education systems and mental illness, which is so ingrained in all of these things. And so interconnected. Yeah. This radical individualism almost allows us like pilot in the the gospel narratives to wash our hands of this. I Mm. wash my hands. This is no longer on my problem anymore. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. We, we allow ourselves to no longer be a part of the problem. And because, you know, it doesn't directly affect us. It's not directly, directly devaluing those relationships that, you know, we need. Um, yeah, it, it allows us to kind of wash our hands of this. Yeah. So, uh, and kind of, yeah, what you just said about, you know, that these are all pretty interconnected ideas. Um, if I want to like situate severe mental illnesses. I mean, my, like you said it earlier, my research focuses on severe mental illnesses. So that's categorized as like schizophrenia, schizotypal disorders, bipolar disorder, um, which all kind of vary on their severity. That's like a complicated thing, but um, to situate that like in a really concrete way. um, So of course, like what we're saying, what I'm saying is that you know, the mental illness has a political, has a judicial, economic and racial dynamic. And um, research shows that like higher rates of schizophrenia are in like accompany people with lower socioeconomic status. Yeah. Um, we have lower rates of schizophrenia in the suburbs, which is largely because of like, you know, if you are having to really scrape to survive, 
yeah. the trauma, the sort of like the strain that the mind goes through. Um, we often neglect to think about that, but um, yeah, then the isolation of schizophrenics from larger society uh, that goes hand in hand with like higher rates of criminalization. Uh, schizophrenics have vi more violent encounters with militarized police and they have higher rates of incarceration. So like the most recent research indicates that all like 10% of all federal prisoners are like categorized as severely wow. mentally ill. 15% um, of state prisoners and 24% of jail inmates meet the criteria for schizophrenia and other psychotic disorders. Holy cow. Um, that's way higher than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. So put that together, that's basically like, that's close to 50% of our prison system, which is innumerably large. Like we're talking millions of millions. people. Right. Um, and then you add to the fact that if people do get out, they have criminal records and yeah. that make housing and jobs scarce. And if you have a severe mental illness, it only gets worse if you don't have secure housing or secure employment or income. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, healthcare. So, you know, access to therapy, these sort of like, like what I was saying with a problem of individualized psychology, um, like, your the whole population of the United States doesn't have access to one-on-one -on -one therapy that like, you know, people in our situation might just be like, well, you know, just go get a therapist and you have a problem. Okay. But if you've been incarcerated for 12 years because you have mental illness, yeah. then when you get out, like your chances of getting what you need, you're getting the care that you need yeah. are very slim. Um, and then more recently it's come to, I think more people's attention that a large number of those who receive the death penalty have psychotic disorders, even though there are technical yeah. protections for them. Um, even in recent cases, we've had like people carried out or death penalty carried out this year on multiple people with mental yeah. illnesses and disabilities. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like really at the heart of what you're what we're talking about with schizophrenia in the 21st century, at least like we have to talk about criminality, we have to talk about race, we have to talk about economics and yeah. um, ultimately personhood, what it means to like that all of these things happen because of a certain way that we define the person. Um, yeah. And there are specific examples like uh, Tanisha Anderson was a black woman with mental illness that was killed by the police, um, I think like a few days before or after Tamir Rice, um, yeah. which is a popular case. And Charles Kinsey was actually like in the reverse way, um, a healthcare worker with a man with autism and was shot by the police. Uh, so, I mean, these kind of situations just exist where the intersection is concrete. It's not theoretical. Like there's right. numbers right. and there's like, uh, yeah. What, I mean, you know, as I'm like listening to this, even personally, um, like you feel the weight of the problem in a sense, and you feel like your smallness in it. And so, I don't know, for somebody listening to this podcast, as so somebody that goes to Midtown Church that lives in Kansas City, like what are some suggestions that you have um, for like what that individual could do, um, like how we can begin making a difference, even just in like our everyday actions um, and our everyday environments? Like what does that what does that look like? Like practically speaking, what do we do as Jesus followers as a result of kind of what you talked about today? Yeah. So before I answer that question, like I'm, 
I should probably define schizophrenia and like oh, psycho- no, yeah, that's psychotic. Good. So we actually kind of know what we're talking about. Um, that's good. Yeah, schizophrenia, the DSM-5, which is like the fancy uh, psychological ma- diagnostic and statistical manual, um, that basically defines the schizophrenia as a disorder of like delusions, hallucinations, um, disorganized speech and behavior, and sort of an isolation from uh, community. So at the heart of schizophrenia is an issue about isolation. Um, Mm. And there are a lot of different ways that uh, it's been approached. Um, But as a Christian, like I think that there are valid ways of critiquing these different approaches. And so kind of what we've been saying, there's like, you know, individualized psychology, which really just treats the person as an individual. And I think that's problematic when you look at all of these environmental um, aspects of schizophrenia and severe mental illnesses. Um, but how the church can like actually do anything. Um, I think we just first have to really stress like our definition of the human person. Um, and for me, that is particularly like strongest when we actually ask like the, the character of God, like the identity of God. Mm. Um, because one thing I neglected to mention is that the identity of God in the West has been primarily this unmovable um like monolithic sort of you know the one god who's like unmovable unchangeable but christian theology doesn't necessarily teach that christian theology teaches um god as triune and so the very basic contour of like who god is is communion um he is a relationship like within himself uh so god does not exist like outside of the father the son the spirit that is god there's no like uh anything added to god like that creates godness like that those are kind of like weird terms but like um so my understanding is basically that if we understand personhood from that perspective um in god personhood is understood as relationality and Mm -hmm. then we move from okay like christ is the one who invites us to participate in God by being both fully human and fully God. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we're united and understood as human. We are not individuals, but we are like persons. And I, I like to use that language in particular because um, individuals again, like falls back on this whole concept of like me, myself and mediating the world. Right. But persons really stresses that we are um only constituted by our togetherness we're constituted by a reliance on one another mm-hmm. and i've often tried to sort of like pin this down to a particular um way of understanding the world and that basically for me is that um the relationship that god has within himself is not like abstract but it's concrete and it's love like love is what god is and the Trinity exists in love and so do persons, human persons. Um, So I think, again, this is all sounding kind of abstract, but the practical way of understanding that is that when we go into our communities that even people with severe mental illnesses, um, they shouldn't be approached in like an isolated way, but approached as members of a mutual community where we have, I mean, like access, like all things common, that the needs of people with severe mental illnesses are not uh, pushed off to 
be dealt with by the prison or be dealt with by the police or be dealt with by, you know, insert whatever system you want, but must ultimately be not dealt with. It's not a problem to fix, but it's something to live alongside of, which again, isn't terribly concrete, but that just depends on like the individuals or persons, I should say, um, in the church. And I think that it also just means that um, in the context of the church, we should stop trying to like find ways for uh, particular people with mental illness to be incorporated in the church, but also to be advocating on their behalf and with them um, in the larger community. Because again, like kind of what I've tried to illustrate is that issues of homelessness, criminalization, these kind of things, like those do have an impact on the psychological state of individual persons. And if you can't address those things, if you can't um, alleviate poverty and alleviate criminalization and like the church exists as a blockade against these violent forces against very vulnerable people, yeah. Um, it becomes very difficult to actually integrate them into your community. Yeah. So. yeah, it's almost like contextualized for Midtown. It's like asking yourself the question, what would it look like to incorporate somebody into our microchurch, right? Who um, has schizophrenia or maybe even an individual who like has been homeless, you know, what would it look like to integrate somebody like that into our microchurch and not just like, you know, involve them in our community, but then to surround them by saying like, you know, what can we do to help and connecting them with like the resources and the stability and the, like being that community that they need to really begin moving forward. That's so good. Well, it's to, it's to incorporate them into the life of the community. I, I think the industrial revolution had kind of, you know, tangent, taught us that we want to be specialized and so in the church we've often approached this as that's a specialized category Mm. like you know oh that those people are cared for by others and we haven't adopted the mantra of acts of holding all things common and and looking to meet the needs in our community and to be a part of um part of the solution in in love and care and so it's it's approaching the church, not as, you know, who could we put over that problem or who can we empower to confront that problem, but how do we as the community of God, the community of love together address this and incorporate people. And I I love the way you put that to advocate on behalf of those who are under threat by the violent forces in our community. Um, It's all of our responsibility. We can't we can't specialize it. We can't outsource it to just a few. Yeah. Like one of our, our committed shifts that we have as a church is that we have to shift from only certain people or ministries are called to serve and love the poor, oppressed and marginalized, or we could add in here, those with schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. those that are experiencing homelessness, um, to, we are all called by Jesus Christ to love and serve the poor, oppressed and marginalized the schizophrenic individual, the individual with extreme bipolar disorder, the individual that's experiencing homelessness and really taking that personal commitment on as a call uh, to really reach those around us. Yeah, it's good. I think uh, if I just add like one other thing too, is that the importance of um, formation and informing um, people without those disorders to 
understand themselves as persons to find in relationship to. So I think one of the traps mm -hmm. that, uh, as someone who does disability theology, like, like one of the big, big things in disability theology is not charity, like not charity. Um, so what you want to get away from is like, here's this person with schizophrenia and here's me, the quote unquote normal, like I fit into the <laughs> normalizing able body and mind, right? Mm -hmm. And then yeah. I help the person with schizophrenia, but the person with schizophrenia doesn't help me. So I think, you know, what really has to happen is to, in through worship and word and, and sacrament or whatever you want to like, use there mm -hmm. to actually like really and that's why I stress the trinity because like if the trinity of God like if God's very character is at the center of the way that we understand the world the way that we understand ourselves and others then like it becomes impossible for me to think of the, the person with schizophrenia as an object for my charity but it it becomes possible for me to understand them as someone who like mutually encounters God with me and who like mm -hmm we are in a mutual relationship. So, and for me, I think too, like uh, with protecting the vulnerable from uh, the violence of communities, like those of us who have the means should of course, I think like argue and, and uh, advocate for things like de-incarceration or prison abolition, which is, you know, you can, whatever opinion on that, that's my position is pr prison abolition and decriminalization. Um, but things like that, like, necessitate that the church is an alternative to those things that the church is non-carceral the church doesn't isolate people in order to punish or correct um but rather acts as an alternative to those things and the best way to do that is to ask the schizophrenic what they need and not to assume that we know like that's the difficulty that's so that yeah. as normalized bodies and minds which is fancy ways of saying that the society accepts us but not them Yep. Um, we kind of have to work to eliminate that us them dichotomy and be like, what does the schizophrenic actually want? Like, what do, are their their needs, and what like, how am I assuming that this will help them? Uh, so yeah, no, that's good. When you were talking, it reminded me of um, you know we have we always give in the name of Jesus by Henry Now and out to um, individuals that have joined our church as kind of like a gift and. In that book, he talks about moving into the La Arche community, um, which is a community specifically for those um, who struggle with um, any a variety of forms of disability and how what he quickly learned is he had much more to learn from those individuals than they had to learn of him. And yeah. just when you were saying that, it was such a good reminder that we have a lot to learn from our brothers and sisters who struggle uh, with schizophrenia, with uh, bipolar disorder, with all the things that we've mentioned today. Uh, we have a lot to learn from them as people. Yeah. It's important to remember and yeah. keep in the forefront. Speaking of learning, let's kind of wrap up this conversation with a few resources. What, Cody, what resources books podcasts what would what are a few things you would point people to yeah um so there are, is only one book that i know of uh mm -hmm. that deals with specifically with schizophrenia and theology um and that is i believe it's called in the fellowship of his suffering by mm -hmm. a woman named alahe hesimafar uh, she's also out of university of aberdeen um she was a student there as well um but I have, of course, differences with my under like our understandings, but at the very least, she um, 
helps paint and helps challenge the assumed narratives of schizophrenia and reconsiders them theologically, which is really important work. Um, there's also an organization with a lot of resources called NAMI, which some people might be really familiar with, some might not be, but it's the national, uh, I think it's either a national alliance or national association of mental illness. Yeah. Um, but they work, they typically have local chapters that work to give resources to people with mental illnesses, but also um, the important aspect is they do a lot of research and advocacy on those intersecting mm -hmm. issues that we've talked about, like um, economy and criminalization and things like that. So they've taken a pretty strong stand against carceral methods of mental illness and um, things like that. And they work really closely with local organizations. Um, there was also a very important document that was produced by the American Friends Service Committee. And it's called, uh, the, it's a PDF called The Treatment Industrial Complex. And um, it's kind of playing off of the term, the military industrial complex, but um, this one is basically targeting the privatized and individualized like ways of treatment. Um, and they've done a lot of research and reports on those issues and ways that you can kind of get educated about like what exactly is going on in our society with mental illness. Um, yeah, so. That's awesome. Yeah, love it. One other resource that you suggested was your friend uh, Bethany McKinney Fox, um, someone who's leading a, a, a faith community around, uh, you know, being in mutual encounter with those, you know, of disability. And so I've connected with her a few times and listened to a few podcasts and she's a great, great yeah. voice on the subject. That's awesome. Yeah, Bethany is brilliant and her book, uh, I think it's disability in the way of Jesus um, is very accessible. Like that can, you know, there's obviously like a lot of complexities to these things, but her book is really accessible and um, focuses on our interpretation of scripture and our application of scripture in the context of disability. And uh, yeah, it's a very powerful, like accessible way to just kind of understand like thinking in those lines, but yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's it. awesome. Well, Cody, thanks so much for joining us today. This was such a treat, um, being good friends with you and, uh, being able to, uh, just let our church hear a little bit about the work that you do, um, to hopefully equip us and challenge us as we continue to reveal the kingdom of Jesus in Kansas city. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.